Welcome to ProctorCast, where we bring you plain English interviews all about the most relevant procurement topics of the day in short, coffee break-sized episodes. Because hey, time's precious and you have got value to deliver. So now let's get straight into this week's show. Yes, hello and welcome to another edition of ProctorCast where every two weeks we bring you everything that is moving and shaking in the procurement space and this time uh, I've got a really important couple of guests coming on the show because they have a vital message for anyone that works in procurement or supply chain because yes, I know it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment but the topic of sustainability is very close and incredibly important to us as procurement professionals and this movement started a little over a year ago and it's really gathered pace since they set it into into full swing and have grown exponentially since then in terms of the number of people following them and becoming ambassadors. Yes, if you haven't heard of them already, I'm talking about the Sustainable Procurement Pledge and I'm very proud and very grateful to bring Thomas Uderson and Oliver Hurry onto the show from the SPP. So, gentlemen, very warm welcome to ProctorCast. Thank you for having us. It's uh, great to have the opportunity, James. So just very, very quickly before we jump in. So first of all, Thomas and Oliver, if you could just give a very brief introduction to your sort of backgrounds professionally, and then we can jump right in with, uh, with the first questions. All right, Oliver, why don't you okay. start? Yeah, thank you. Um, so hello to the Proctopus uh, community. I know a few of you have been on a few of your calls. Um, great to be uh, uh, working with James and Thomas on this, so thank you. Um, so I'm Oliver Hurry. I've worked in sustainability and sustainable procurement for about 15, 16 years. And the main thing I do is get people in companies together who share common problems, knock their heads together and get them to work together to solve them faster. Uh, that's what I've done all my career. Um, so. I worked in various sort of industry initiatives and issues or uh, issue initiatives, if you want to call it that. Uh, and when I heard Thomas and uh, Bertrand were setting up an initiative that helps the professional on sustainable procurement, which is really a challenge that's laced through all industries, I knew I had to be involved. So, um, yeah, it's been an exciting journey. Awesome. Thank you. And what about you, Thomas? Yeah, so so originally from, from Denmark, I've been in business to business, trading, procurement, uh, for the last uh, 25 plus plus years. Um, currently, I, I wear a couple of different hats. I'm, I'm in my day job. I'm the CPO of, of Bayer, so the, the German-based life science company. Um, but also, as, as Oliver was suggesting, of course, I'm also the co-founder with Bertrand and the uh, Sustainable Procurement Pledge, uh, really getting into uh, enabling our community to do good and use the power that we have uh, for something really purposeful. Um, and I've also had the, uh, the pleasure of, of working in a couple of industry initiatives. So I'm also on the steering committee of Together for Sustainability, which is a chemical um, industry uh, initiative where by now we are, we are 30 odd uh, companies, uh, 230 billion spent, which is all about uh, collaborating in the whole space of uh, sustainable procurement and, and making our 
supply chains better, stronger, more resilient and more responsible as well. Thank you both for that. So there's clearly a wealth of experience with not, not just you both, but, but the ambassadors that you have within the community as well. So I think the first thing I'd like to start with is a quote that Bertrand makes actually on the uh, introductory video on the Sustainable Procurement Pledge website, which is governments and regulators can only do so much, but we are the guardians of responsible supply chains. And I guess what I really want to get at here that is it's really then more about actions and not words, isn't it? So how can companies move from wanting to do the right thing and and having it in their in their goals or in their corporate ethos or in their mission statement to to actually doing something that doesn't just become uh, for want of a better word a box ticking exercise yeah and and quite frankly when we we chose those words it was not by by accident because i think there is yes it is about action um, but it's also very much linked with us taking responsibility. Um, this is not somebody else's problem. It's not something that the regulators, the governance, will be able to fix for us. It, it's something where everybody needs to contribute. And, and that's also what we've seen with how we have approached the uh, community. We see that it's, it's industry. It is, of course, also public procurement. It's academia, it's a recruitment industry. We all have a big role to play here and, and it is about accepting that uh, responsibility. Um, and one way of avoiding that, it, it does become uh, a box ticking exercise because that is actually a bit of an issue out here. And um, we've seen that uh, even amongst our ambassador community, they would also argue that uh, many of the companies where they work simply haven't matured just yet and they are treating it a bit as a at box ticking. So how do you how do you avoid that? It is accepting the responsibility. It is about uh, showing a right degree of humility and and also approaching it um, in the spirit that uh, it's something we all uh, you know have to do better. That's a really good point because while the procurement ambassadors and procurement professionals themselves may individually be very very passionate about what they're doing it's never going to be embedded in the agenda unless it gets board level sponsorship and, and adaptation uh, i'd like to quote something actually from uh, a bit of a social media guru uh, called gary vaynerchuk some of the listeners may have heard of him and he says that companies are very basic they never do good things unless it's also good for the company. So I guess to to answer that question and to get that momentum at board level, there has to be something in it for companies themselves. So Oliver, you've got a lot of experience uh, in your past career uh, actually doing this in various different companies uh, in corporate organizations. So if you're going into a CFO's office or even a CEO's office or a board meeting, what would be your persuasive argument other than good press um, that can really drive forward this agenda in companies and, and make them convinced that there's something in it for them financially as well? You know, most of big corporations are, uh, are public companies, so it's not just a, a family decision or a, or a board level decision. Shareholders have to buy into it too, yeah, right? Absolutely. That's an interesting quote, I think, because... I'm not sure I agree with it, uh, and maybe there's some context around it, but but no, I think there's also a reflection of, do people only do good if it's good for them? I think that's an interesting kind of thought, and you know, because businesses are made up of people. People are, you know, businesses. So I think this is an interesting point of view, and I think ultimately to drive the change that we need, and for procurement, 
to elevate itself as a profession, businesses need to change. But actually, to change businesses, you need people to change and people to think differently and act differently. So I think that I think this is why the sustainable procurement pledge is so powerful. Is it's not yet another company initiative that a sort of broad organization joins up to without really knowing what it is. This is something you make as an individual. And if collectively individuals make a decision in a department, in a room, you know, in a floor, in an office, in a, in a town, in, in, a, in a business, then change happens quite, quite quickly because change in business can be slow because often it's about engaging all the people within it. I think it's, it's dramatically changed the boardroom's perspective on sustainability in the last, especially in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, it's gone ballistic. I mean, I've spent 15 years working with people who've been sustainability directors, who've often been very lonely people shoved in the corner of a building somewhere as a kind of token gesture. And those people for the last sort of decade or so have been desperately knocking on the boardroom door to say, let me in, it's really important, we've got to do this, and getting better, slowly better and better, putting business cases together and convincing people who frankly don't care often about some of these issues necessarily. And maybe the older generation, maybe certain demographics who traditionally are like, well, this is fine, we'll be all right. So I think they've got better at that. But in the last sort of 12 months, 12 to 18 months, I've seen a dramatic change. I've seen sustainability directors who've been knocking on the boardroom door um, desperate to get in, suddenly he's turning around to me and saying, my CEO has set us a target that has gone way beyond what I wanted. And I, you know, I don't know how to do it now. And so this sort of huge rush in changing of, of, of opinions about big targets and big, bold statements. We're seeing this in politics now. I mean, to see countries like China set net zero target. I mean, this is just unheard of. And so it's dramatic change. So, and I think if you're not in the boardroom and you don't get this, you're going to be massively left behind, both as an organisation, but as an individual. Your family are going to think, you know, and your, your future generations are going to think about you in a different way, and as well as your customers and consumers and your investors. So, you know, you've got to get on with it. And that, that's, a, that's a fantastic observation, actually. Do, do you think that that's because COVID has changed the game, or do you just think that it's a marathon, not a sprint, and just the sheer persistence of these people over the past... 10, 15 years is is slowly starting to bear fruit. I mean, I'm thinking specifically when I say COVID around de-risking of supply chains and especially in terms of reducing emissions from shipping, I think that will become a really big one over the over the coming years. Yeah, I think it's a perfect storm, isn't it, Thomas? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, in, in fact, uh, COVID has probably been an accelerator. I think the, the ship had already started turning. Um, I think many... Uh, organization had also started recognizing that uh, you know this whole concept of a more responsible capitalism uh, is, is one that is probably the winning formula for the future and and if anything i think we've seen with covid that uh, actually uh, sustainable supply chains are also resilient supply chains so the organizations that know how to collaborate that know how to partner and and also find uh, suppliers who are operating on the more inclusive and responsible practices, that they're the ones who actually get stuff through uh, constrained supply chains. And, and that's certainly the experience that, that we have had as well, um, that um, you know, by, by nurturing partnerships, by making sure that uh, you have joint uh, approaches around how do you do business? It's not just about uh, you know, uh, delivering the, the product at the end of the process. It's about how do you go about it? How do you treat your employees? How do you make sure you are a uh, sort of responsible player? in the system that that means uh, again that uh, you know you 
you you get the privileges that you you want to have as a business. And I think just back to the earlier uh, statement around business interest, I think we all businesses are also here for for having a long term uh, impact. It, it's not about the next quarter. It, it's true in certain. I guess uh, communities, you see that that uh, razor sharp focus on the next quarter has been the predominant uh, dogma. But most organizations and I certainly benefit from working in such a, a company. You know, we, we look at uh, what's the right path for the next 10, 20, 30 years. We've been around for, for 150 years and we are planning to be around for the next 150. And that's something especially that, I mean, I, I lived and worked in Germany for 12 years. And that's certainly an observation that I got from the German business mentality that it seems to be much more long term than certainly American businesses, but I guess this problem is global, isn't it? So it's all around unifying that together and and getting companies to think more long term in their in their procurement decisions and supply chain optimization to make sure that it embeds sustainability right at the right at the core of that, but also you know, companies are for-profit companies that that it's for the greater good of uh, of them as well. And you know, Tesla is a classic example that you know they're they're doing environmental good, but they're also a hugely successful company at the same time. I don't think those two things are are not without connection. Uh, in fact, they're directly connected. I mean, um, I think I think I've done a lot of work in the U.S. on sustainable procurement and in Europe, and it's dramatically different generally. Um, people are different, the culture is different, the legislation is different. I've also worked in various different industries. There are industries that get this and there are industries that don't get this. And I think this is why it's really important. You, we t- you talked about how can you change business? How can you have an impact as an individual? When you go into a boardroom or you talk to a CFO or a CPO, you need to understand what they think and feel. You need to talk their language. I mean, this is a cliche of, of talking the language of the person that you're trying to engage and influence. But you need to be very, very careful about what that person and that company or that country or whatever is doing and thinking and feeling. And I think that's really, really important for um, for driving change. Because I think I don't like to put people in buckets, but there is a broad spectrum of people. There are people who work in this who fundamentally want to manage risk and cover their backsides and you know manage risk and compliance and everything else. You get people who are very passionate about personally about achieving more in their business, going up the ladder, becoming a CEO or you know, want their business to succeed. And then you get people who passionately, personally believe that they want to have more than just a job and they want to drive change and everything else. And the world is somewhere on that weird spectrum. And you also get people who don't care at all, I suppose. But, you know, you do have people on that spectrum. And depending on who you're engaging, if compliance is really important, then lead with compliance, lead with risk management. If by making those changes, they're going to actually do something really positive and they haven't acknowledged that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're doing good and they don't realise it. You know, that's fine. You know, we've got to change everybody. So that means we have to bring people along that don't care or supposedly don't care or, you know, are focused on compliance. We need to bring those people along rather than trying to talk too much at this end, too emotive, too passionate, because, you know, at the end of the day, a chunk will get that. But a chunk won't get that. So we need to try all the different tactics. And I think it does come back to thinking about your audience. What do they really care about? You know, are they, you know, where on that spectrum are they? And you need to adjust your message accordingly. I think, I think maybe also if I, if I can build on that, James, because it, it, goes back to the, it goes back to the first comment you had around the, the regulators. I think also, you know, we, we see obviously across the world that the, the regulators are now uh, starting to relook at this whole topic and, and uh, rethink how can we, how can we have a bigger impact? And, and the current approach uh, here at the beginning of 21 
has been a bit uh, this punitive approach where you know you will have to do it like this and this or else you know the bad things are going to happen and i think here the the regulators also have um, uh, a role to to play it a bit smarter and recognize that we have companies at this whole spectrum as oliver was describing and and it needs to be a balance of let's say carrot and stick um, because you also want to make sure that you encourage companies to do the right thing um, and that it does, doesn't all become very, very punitive because they, if it is only a punitive regulatory framework, you would also see that many corporations, you know, almost would default into the very defensive approach and look at it from a risk perspective. And, and that's simply not what we need. We, we got to have a balance. Yes, there's a minimum, but we need to have the positive encouragement as well. And, and with that, also companies will will be more prepared to show humility and say, in fact, you know, we don't have it all 100% under control. We recognize that, but we are committed to the to the journey. And, and that's why I think the, the collaboration with the regulators and industry and the different parts of society is, is really important that we, we find that sweet spot where, where everybody can, can move in the right direction as fast as they practically are able to do given whichever constraints, you know, they have to operate. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and I think the, the world of audit and compliance and responsible sourcing and sustainable supply chains has been going on for quite a number of years now. I mean, I SEDEX is a, a major organization in responsible sourcing, huge network of businesses. Their annual conference for the last six or seven years has been about going beyond compliance, beyond box ticking, because it doesn't work. It generally doesn't work on its own. I mean, you've got people spending millions and millions and millions of dollars and euros on auditing and box ticking alone. And we still have child labor and we still have emissions rising in certain areas and we still have this. So it is the definition of madness to carry on doing something, thinking that it's working when it isn't, you know? So I think the realities are that this capacity building, this engagement of suppliers, this collaboration, this better connectivity, this you know, shared value is a topic that's talked about in procurement for years. And I think that there's a increasing sort of evidence of that being really important. I mean, the capacity building and capability building for supply chains is an incredibly important work stream these days, much more or as powerful as the compliance uh, piece as well. And so I think good practice now, not best practice, good practice now is to be making sure you have stronger relationships with your suppliers, you understand their pressures and pains, and you almost encourage and reward them to tell you what's wrong rather than hide it from you um, and i think that that idea of rewarding people for revealing the inevitably bad things that are happening in their supply chains is something that we need to move towards because it's ridiculous to pretend that things aren't happening because complex supply chains are complex supply chains so and especially when you get into second and third tier as well isn't it it's easier easier to manage your first tier but once you get then into second and third tier it becomes a a whole lot more difficult and i know there are a lot of procure tech solutions out there that are tackling that problem now um, but it has traditionally always been an issue so finally to to round this off gentlemen I mean, I think we can all agree that historically procurement professionals haven't been great at marketing themselves and speaking their stakeholders language, going back to the point you made uh, a few minutes back, Oliver. So bearing in mind that obviously to gain more momentum, you guys need to grow this and get more publicity. Uh, what are your plans for growth uh, in, and especially in terms of media and marketing and internal marketing for people that are ambassadors of SPP? And I'm one of them. Um, what can procurement professionals do to get this on their, on, on their company's agenda? 
Yeah, I think what what of course we we aim to achieve is that at the end of the day, the sustainable development goals of the United Nations are achieved by 2030, and and that all supply chains are having embedded sustainable procurement practices. and And how do we believe that that is possible? Because it is it's it's necessary, but it's also possible. And and that's of course by having all our procurement professionals engaged in into the topic and accepting. That it is our responsibility. You know, it's not somebody sitting in a different department who is going to solve this. We have to solve it, but we will have to solve it together. And and right now we estimate that there's around a million procurement professionals out there who is, you know, key in in achieving this. So so that's what it is. We're going to go for 100% coverage uh, by doubling our members every year until 2030. We will reach uh, we will reach a million. And of course, our call to you and all the other ambassadors is to help us on, on this. And we will then in the background, make sure that, that all the best practices, that all the knowledge, the tools, methodologies are made available for free to anybody. And that we will create a collaboration space where we can share these experiences and, and show that humility um, that we all need to, to do and also accept that we don't have all the answers yet, but we will find them together. And, and that's really, what, what we are aiming to do. Um, we have reached a bit of a, a natural, I guess, uh, bottleneck situation because, as you know, we've been doing all this as uh, as volunteers. We have a lot of uh, passionate volunteers. Is our ambition this year is to, in fact, create a, a formal nonprofit um, organization with a, a sort of uh, skeleton organizational capa capability that will help us and engage with the communities, build charters, make sure that that the right knowledge is captured and made available again for free. So we want to be super inclusive. It, it's not a sort of a European, American, Anglo-Saxon type of initiative. We, we've got to have everybody. It's the, the If you look at the demographics of our uh, ambassador community, thankfully, we, we really have people from, from all degrees uh, of seniority, uh, all industries, all geographies, um, we have many people from public procurement, we have academia, we have the recruitment industry, who is so critical also to make sure that, you know, those great jobs uh, are not filled with people who don't get it. And, and that's where I think the, um, the ambassadors, but also the recruitment industry is, is really critical for us moving forward. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you very much. So uh, if anyone wants to find out more about this, then I strongly recommend you to go to spp.earth online and sign up and become an ambassador and pledge to be a sustainable procurement professional because as Thomas rightly said we need people all over the world to do this and the only way that we're going to make real change is through exponential growth and to have that sort of hockey stick uh, growth trajectory to really impact every single boardroom that we possibly can. So gentlemen, thank you both very much for your time. Uh, I wish you every success in achieving that growth and Together, we will hopefully succeed and impact this. Thank you, James. Thank you, James. So Thomas and Oliver are clearly very passionate about what they're doing, and it's great to see and hear some of that energy on the show. That's all that we've got for you this week on Proctorcast. But just before we sign off, thank you very much for listening. We know that there are a few procurement podcasts out there these days, and we're very, very grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. We'll be back again in two weeks' time with another Proctorcast. Until then, be productive, drive value, stay safe, and speak to you soon. Bye-bye.